everyone, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is episode 391, as we are doing the final episode of February, a month that was booked so far in advance of finally seeing it through. Eric Legrand, James Lofton, John Wertheim, so far this month, today we have a treat. Lisa Guerrero is the chief investigative correspondent for Inside Edition. She has won over 35 national journalism honors and awards. But I know her, and many of our listeners know her, as a sportscaster. She's covered Super Bowls, World Series, NBA Finals. She's interviewed sports superstars. She made a mistake during the opening game on Monday Night Football that nearly cost her her sportscasting career. She was on the Best Damn Sports Show. She got the first ever interview with Barry Bonds about steroids. She was in Playboy. And then she anchored... The documentary called Secrets of Playboy that exposed them for a lot of harassment. Her new book is entitled Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. And she is our guest today. It is, there's also a lot going on in today's sports. We are going to tackle three leagues. The NBA, the EPL, the English Premier League, and the new XFL. We'll get the latest odds on futures on those with the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow. Lisa, this is such a thrill to have you on the show. I've been watching you on TV for such a long time. Uh, congratulations on your success. Congratulations on the early returns on the book. Uh, tell me, what has that experience been like? Thanks for having me on, Seth. You know, this has been so gratifying um, to just see the reaction that people have had once they've read or listened to the book. I, you know, I wrote the book partially for myself, right? It was cathartic. I yeah. had been through so much in my career. I faced challenges, misogyny, sexual harassment, verbal abuse, depression, um, a lot of things through the years. And I wanted to pull back the curtain so that people could, could read what really happens behind the scenes on these shows and these movies and TV shows and uh, broadcasts that, that are so popular. And I wanted people to get a real sense of a human being behind it. And it was extremely painful to write. It took me years to finish. And so now that it's out there in the world and people have reacted so well, it has been incredibly gratifying. And it's been a blessing every day. I get these messages from people. Thank you for writing this. I relate to this part of it. Oh, you know, I can't believe somebody else went through this. I did too. So from all over the world, I just got an email this morning from somebody in Zimbabwe who read it over the weekend. That's amazing. So it's incredible. It's, it's, it's wild. What I, what I really, you know, and, and this is going to sound a little kiss-assy and it's not intended. You're already here. So that's not the idea. Um, but I think that the timing of the book is really fascinating in that you can write about low points in your career because you are experiencing such a high point with Inside Edition, with what you've been able to accomplish, the awards and all of that stuff. If you wrote this, let's say, after Monday Night Football, it's a very, right. very different story. Absolutely. And that's why I had to wait for a while. First of all, after Monday Night Football, I was devastated. So I wasn't prepared to do the real work that it takes to write a good memoir, which is to be really self-reflective and to think about the things you did right, the things you did wrong um mistakes challenges all those things so it took me years to kind of really process everything that had happened to me part of why it was important to write it now 
is just what you said, Seth, is that I was at a place more recently where I was, you know, kind of in the midst of all this success with Inside Edition, shooting all these investigations. I've now shot about 600 investigations over the last 13 years. That's crazy. And that's, that's crazy. I read that in the book. I was like, incredible, that's a crazy right? number. I know, winning all of these awards and getting all these accolades as a journalist, which makes me laugh in a way because I'm the same journalist I was on Monday Night Football or in sports. You know, nothing, nobody waved a magic wand over me to change the way I report. I'm the same reporter. Um, so to me, it's just been really um, amazing to see how people have embraced my work now. And so I'm coming from a real place of success and health and mental health and physical health. So I'm able to kind of go back in time now and deal with some of that trauma and unpack it in this book. And now I think it's a lot more meaningful as well. I, there's, there's no question. You can tell it just in, in the tone of it. I do want to get into the specifics, you know, in, in your career, but I'm curious about the journey. Um, there are many people who would say that the journey you took from the cheerleading and and the fact that you were known um, to to parlay that into the anchoring, and you know now you're a television anchor and you're known and this is in an era before social media, so like being known that way was you were genuinely known, and it was you were able to parlay an opportunity into an what the resilience that I'm amazed by is how often you are like kicked to the curb and people would say, that's it. We're never going to hear from Lisa Guerrero again. And you resurfaced. And that's pretty incredible also. You know, everybody loves a comeback story and we all have a comeback story. Like every single one of us has dealt with obstacles. You know, mine were very public, you know, mine were on TV. Monday night football had 40 million viewers in 2003. Um, so you know, my ups and downs, my highs and lows have been very public. Um, but every single person that's listening right now is dealing with challenges. So the bigger, broader message of my book is that you can turn your pain into power. You have a comeback inside of you. You might not know it. You might not know how yet. It might take you a year or more, but you can do it. And that's what I want people to take away from my book is, you know, people look at me now on Monday night or on, uh, sorry, on Inside Edition and they say, wow, she's brave and she chases bad guys and she's a superhero. Um, but I wanted people to know that I wasn't born brave. I became brave over time and through overcoming challenges and that there are real um, exercises you can do to become more brave over time. It's like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger you get. Um, one of the things that I uh, wanted to touch on, you touch on this in the, in the book. <clears throat> I think our, our listeners would, would, would love to know this. How did you know what things were being said about you, whether they were positive or negative? How did you know, like, you know, now what it would be is uh, you would be, you would just Google yourself, you know what I mean? <clears throat> But yeah, then, they had Google back. I'm not that old, Seth. Yeah, they had Google. No, back you're not then. that much older than so I, I am. Did, I did Google myself in 2003. So in fact, Al Michaels, <laughs> you know, I worked with Al Michaels and John Madden and Al Michaels would Google himself 
And he would read what everybody wrote about him. And he said, oh, you know, if you want to know what people say about you, Google yourself. And John Madden would say, no, do not Google yourself. Who cares what people think about you or writing about you? Do your job. Uh, But because Al told me that, I started Googling myself. So that's when I started to realize that these columnists from around the country or in USA Today were writing really devastating what we would now consider slut shaming things about me. They were obsessed with my fingernail polish, the length of my hair, um, whether I was wearing too much lipstick, the size of my breasts were written about in newspaper columns. That's wild. And it was really shocking. Back, you know, back then it was allowed. I was the first woman though in sports that kind of looked like this, that had this big national job. And people were just basically saying, she's a bimbo. How can somebody that looks like that actually know sports? She obviously doesn't know sports. She's a model. And so if somebody were to try to write those columns today, um, or if they got it through the editors somehow, they would be fired. There would be outrage about it. You you can't judge a woman based on how long her hair is anymore. But back then, you know, I was a real anomaly. I started in sports in the 90s. And my first news director told me if I wanted to be taken seriously to cut my hair short, don't wear makeup and wear blue blazers, you know, and I rejected that. I said, no, I'm going to look like myself. I'm Latina. I want to have my long hair. My last name is Guerrero. Um, I have a certain look and a certain style and I'm feminine and this is how I'm going to look on camera. And, um, and because of that, I really, you know, endured a lot of criticism because apparently I wasn't supposed to look like that and be able to know man on man versus zone. <laughs> you know, uh, I, it was just like, I wasn't allowed to know that sports stuff. I thought I was going to look like Cindy Crawford or something. So I just, I, it's just, it's, it's asinine <clears throat> to see, you know, what, what, what people were interested in, 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 in that way. I, 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 what, what my perspective of it was, um, I was always amazed in 1995 slash six, I did sidelines for Syracuse football. It was my senior year in college and the, you know, the radio station that we were doing, I was the guy. And I've said this on the podcast before. I, I, I just, I suck at play by play. I couldn't do it. And I wanted to be at every game. So I tried sidelines and whenever I would see a sideline reporter, my reaction was never what her lipstick was. It was, wow, how the hell is she doing that? So what I wanted to ask you after looking at the book and and just knowing your career, what was it like dealing with athletes, athletes, specifically coaches, people like that? Because a lot of the, 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 the crappy stuff was coming from people that you were working with. Were there athletes that affirmed your existence there that made you feel more comfortable? Yeah, I was, I was really welcomed um, to the Dodgers by Eric Karros and Sean Green and a lot of the players um, that were that were really great. I mean, there were some players that were fantastic. I covered Shaq and Kobe at the height of their, you know, Lakers um, relationship Powers, together. Yeah. And um, they were great to me as well. You know, there were some athletes that were jerks, frankly. I write about it in my book, Warrior. So people should definitely read to get all of the scoop from those years, from the 90s to the 2000s. Um, But, you know, overall, I think the athletes and coaches treated me well. I think I was mistreated mainly by 
other members of the sports media. Yeah. They were the ones that I think felt threatened by me because back then I was the only woman in most of the locker rooms from the teams I covered. So I think they looked at me and thought, uh-oh, if a, a woman is attractive and knows sports and is a good writer, is articulate, is funny, has strong sports opinions, she could take my job. You know, And I think that my existence threatened a lot of men back then in the nineties and early two thousands. And so at that time, the columnists, most of them um, were men and I, they were really brutal to me. And I remember when uh, one columnist in Los Angeles was, you know, wrote this incredible column about how great I, I was. I think he called it brainy and beautiful and just talked in glowing terms about my ability as sportscaster. Then he asked me out after the article came out and I said, no, I have a boyfriend. And then he started to rip me in his column consistently after that. So it was, and I felt helpless. Right. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't social media that I could have my own platform and say, Hey, this columnist, you know, basically sexually harassed me several times. And then when I turned him down, he started ripping me in his column. So, you know, it was, it was one of those things where, where, you know, I was, I was very frustrated about a lot of that, but I thought that, you know, the best thing I can do is just continue to do my job and do it well. More of our conversation with the amazing storyteller, Lisa Guerrero in just a moment, but first the latest odds in sports. We're going to cover the NBA, the EPL and the XFL. Let's welcome in the head odds maker at Bovada, Patrick Morrow. The NBA trade deadline has come and gone. The All-Star game has come and gone. And now it's the big playoff push. Knowing that you have the play-in tournament, what are NBA futures like? So, Seth, yeah, uh, players have had this time. Players have had this time before the break now just to uh, relax a little bit. The ones who didn't go to Utah for All-Star weekend will have a bit of an extended break, really, as the NBA is only picking up again this Thursday. Uh, Looking at the NBA futures odds uh, and how they've moved from the start of the year, um, the team that was the preseason favorite, the Boston Celtics, are right there, and they've only really uh, solidified their role as they are all the way up to plus 275. Uh, they're being tra- uh, trailed sorry, by the Phoenix Suns, who are plus 425 right now. Obviously, uh, the big deadline move for them was picking up Kevin Durant. This improved their preseason odds from 10 to 1. Um, they got as high as 12 to 1 this year. Uh, otherwise, you have the Bucks at 6 to 1, the Nuggets at 8 to 1, Clippers trailing there at 9 to 1. Uh, yep, Golden State, that big question mark, uh, really... Uh, you know, they're, they're right now a play-in team, uh, but, you know, we know Golden State, we, they've done this script before in the past, Seth, where if they can just get healthy for the playoffs, they are going to be a very problematic 6, 7, or 8 seed. Uh, they are currently 14-1 to 1 at Bavada. One of the more interesting plays, uh, four players, and uh, one of the largest positions we have so far. I mean, they still have to make the playoffs, but uh, if they can make the playoffs and they can get in healthy, uh, again, we've seen the script before with them. So I would say that's our biggest concern. Indulge me for a moment. This is my second season watching the English Premier League. I know there's been all this talk about the start of the MLS season, but the Premier League is coming down its home stretch so let's take a look at futures odds i know uh, man city and arsenal are neck and neck at the top of the table tell me what the betting lines are 
Yeah, Seth, so it's been a pretty pretty exciting year for your team, Arsenal. Uh, nobody really expected them at the beginning of the year to be knocking at the top of the table uh, for the English Premier League, where they currently find themselves. Uh, having said that, uh, Man City was the preseason favorite, and uh, they are ever so slightly still one right now, despite dropping points over the weekend at Nottingham Forest. Arsenal finds himself in really interesting uh, contention. They are right there. It is. Re it is. It's, it's clearly a two-horse race, with maybe Man United being, you know, one tenth of a horse. But the current odds currently have Man City as two to one favorites, so they're not quite odds-on favorites. Arsenal is currently sitting at plus 135, so they are right there. You have Man United at 15 to 1, and uh, we're not really going to talk about Liverpool's odds. Those are the updated futures odds at Bavada for the English Premier League right now. Like I said, pretty much just a two-horse race. Really exciting season so far, though, Seth. Plus, we have the added benefit of all these teams fighting for second, third, fourth, all those Champions League and Europa odds, and you can bet those futures odds, too. Finally, there's this brand new football league. It's not brand new, but the XFL started its season. Do you guys have futures odds on the XFL? Yeah, so we we do have the XFL in what I think is its third iteration now. Uh, it's hard to keep track. Uh, they tried to do number two, I think, just before COVID. And now uh, The Rock and a few other people own the league now. So I, I gave it a whirl this weekend, Seth, because it was the, the first week of what was a brand new league. Uh, or a restart of a brand new league, but with a few new twists. And I I've got to say the games were, they were certainly interesting. I, I, I like the mathematical aspect of trying to sort out the one point, two point, three point conversion. I also appreciate that uh, on a lot of plays uh, prior to the two minute warning, uh, even if it's an incomplete pass, the clock continues to run. So these games aren't dragging on for three or four hours like some NFL or college football games go. These are pretty tidy affairs. These are two, two and a half hour tops. So you're still getting a good deal of play. You're getting a good deal of action in these games. And uh, listen, I, I think it's it's been fun so far. I think what I've really appreciated is that after a very cautious opening week uh, that we've been able to raise the limits at Bavada for these games, both pre and we plan on in-game as well. And I would say to players, uh, you know, the next thing is to start looking out for player props because uh, that'll be what's coming next. In terms of who we think is at the top of the league, uh, tough to make uh, too much uh, of, you know, a, a massive leap after just one week for, of data. But I would say it's it's your Houston Ref, Roughnecks, your San Antonio Brahmas, which I don't know if that's supposed to be Brahma Bulls after uh, the Rock, but those would probably be the top two teams that we have on the board at Bavada right now. But uh, I, I've, I've got to say, after one week, I'm interested. I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention for one more. They've got some Thursday night football this week. Maybe we can get some Seth Everett Twitch action there. I don't know, just saying. But uh, it would be interesting to see. Interesting to see, Seth. Give the folks what they want. That's Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bavada. He tells us everything that we need to know going forward here without football. But there's a lot of stuff going on still in sports. Now back to our fascinating conversation with sportscaster turned Inside Edition host, Lisa Guerrero. Switching gears from Monday Night Football, <laughs> uh, the other show that I wanted to ask you about was the best damn sports show, period. Uh, we had Chris Rose on the podcast, I would say a year ago, like right in the heart of uh, COVID. Um, we, 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 we talked to Chris Rose um, and I think I've had Rob Dibble on the show as well. What what can you tell our listeners about your experience with the with that? And it was a it was kind of a revolutionary. It was kind of like the anti sports center 
so to speak. Yeah, so I was the first, I was in the first two seasons of the show. I was the first woman on the show and I was there at the beginning of the, the show. Um, it was groundbreaking in many ways because it was a cross between sports and entertainment. It was a two hour live show to a studio audience. And, um, you know, of course my role was, I was one of the co-hosts at the A Block when you argue about the topic, sports topic of the day. Yeah. And then I would head to the sports desk and I would do the sports updates every 13 minutes. I would do a two to three minute sports update throughout the night live. So um, it was really challenging in a lot of ways. My schedule was brutal. I worked 13 hour days for that show because in addition to shooting the two hour show, I had to stay in studio when the guys left and do all the sports highlights throughout the night until the last oh. of the West Coast baseball games were over. Oh my goodness. Uh, which was sometimes after 11, 1130. Yeah, and I sure. would get to I would get to the studio for our, you know, we would have a production meeting at 11. So, you know, I was there at least 12 hours a day. And the guys were there like four hours. Huh. <clears throat> so I worked a brutal schedule. Um, I dealt with a lot of shenanigans. There was just a ton of misogyny at Fox Sports Net, as you can mm. imagine in 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, I was on other shows there, um, Sports Geniuses, Tough Man, um, uh, the Southern California Sports Report, et cetera. So I'd been part of that sports um, uh, cadre yeah. at Fox Sports for a long time. And I was, you know, sometimes treated really well and sometimes treated uh, very poorly as I, you know, write about in Warrior, and at the same time, I was getting all these massive sit-down interviews with Barry Bonds, Shaq and Kobe, um, Randy Johnson, um, A-Rod, Mia Hamm, Nomar Garcia-Para, Randy Johnson, like all these really big sports sit-down interviews. And they kept promising me, you know, we're going to give you your own show, your own special. You're the Barbara Walters of sports. We love you. Um, but I was very um, marginalized as well and treated kind of like a bimbo on the show. And it was very frustrating because I was working so hard, so many hours. I was very sports knowledgeable. I was in the thick of it in terms of knowing what was going on in every sport, in every city, because I was doing the updates nationally every night. And I was being treated like a model. And I, I just became really frustrated. And finally I left um, after the John Cruck roast, which was a nightmare. Again, I write about that in detail in the book. But finally, I thought, well, I'm done with Fox Sportsnet, and I get this opportunity from Monday Night Football, and I thought, this is it. I've now got the best job in sports. I'm on to ABC and Monday Night Football, and then that went south. So it was really a difficult few years for me. You know, it was a real challenging, I would say, five-year period. That's incredible, and you're you're <clears throat> so open about it in the book and and here on the podcast, and I really appreciate your candor. Um you were credited as uh, asking uh, Barry Bonds that you were the first person to ask Barry Bonds if he had done steroids. And uh, I, I covered Barry Bonds and I, I just thought he was a prick. I, there's, there's no other way to say it. What was your experience with him? And do you think that's his personality is part of why he is perceived the way he is, whereas other guys who did kind of the same thing are just a lot more charming? Yeah, he, you know, if 
first of all, if you want to see the interview, it's on my YouTube channel. So, um, and so is my Monday Night Football performances. So if you want to see any of these interviews with Kobe and all these things, go to Lisa Guerrero TV on YouTube and you can mm-hmm. scroll down and see this. But this Barry Bonds interview was was really special because at the time he wasn't talking to any media. He was at the height of the home run um, uh, chase. So he, um, you know, he had, he was very negative towards the rest of the media because um, he had perceived them as being his enemy. And it took me about eight months to convince his agent, Scott Boris, his um, manager, Stevie, his publicist, Rachel Viscara, and finally him to do a sit down interview with me when I was on Fox sports net on best damn sports show period. Yep. And I sent them tapes. You know, I, I, I really worked very hard to convince them that I would give him a fair interview. So they said, yes, it's set up. You've got 20 minutes. So we flew up to, I believe our first interview with him. I did several sit downs with him over, over time, but the first one was, was in San Francisco and my crew and I flew up and we still weren't sure he was going to even show up you know, cause he was belligerent mm-hmm. and he, he showed up, he was a little late. He was kind of had a n- nasty attitude and I just thought, okay, I'm going to oh, try God. to break the ice. You know, I have to break the ice somehow. And so we were, you know, miking him up and, and I said, Hey, let's do a booger check. And he had just said something up. about, he just said something about um, one of his friends. I forget which friend it was. Um, you know, a real friend will tell you if you have something in your nose. And I said, okay, let's do a booger check. And he's like, what did you say a booger check? And I said, yes. I said, put your head back. And he's like laughing. And I'm like, how about me? Am I clean? And he just started howling. And that was it that broke the ice. And suddenly he was a different person. And he told me stories about, you know, his father's alcoholism, how the reason he hated the media is that when he was learning how to read, he was reading the negative columns that people were writing about his dad. And so he immediately forged a wall against the media when he was little. Yeah, but he made assumptions about people who were never going to do anything remotely close to that. And he was a jerk to them too. Yeah, but I'm just telling you. Yeah, no, I get it. I'm I'm telling you where he's coming from. And see, this is what what makes me a different um, journalist than other people. I always lead with empathy. I don't judge them at first. First, I want them to tell me their story. And in order to get, in order to get somebody to talk to you and to honestly reveal themselves, you have to come from a place of listening and, and non-judgmental listening, which is really hard to do because we all have opinions and then you can switch gears. Then you can push back and say, okay, I've heard you. I've I've heard you say this, but but does it excuse this behavior that you've done? And I'm really good at this and I've honed this over the years. And that is an ability to, to uh, be able to listen carefully, be empathetic, but then come with the very tough questions, which I did with Barry Bonds. So that 20 minute interview that was supposed to be 20 minutes ended up being an hour and 20 minutes because he kept going and his PR team kept saying, okay, that's enough, wrap it up. And he's like, no, 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 I'm okay. Let's keep going. So that interview ended up really putting me on the map. It aired over several nights. John Sally said after watching the first one, he goes, that's going to win an Emmy for Lisa Guerrero. 
and after that, I was treated a lot better, but I still mm-hmm. never got my special. I never got my, my own show. I never got the things that I was hoping to get after doing all these sit down interviews. So oh. over time though, it, it really worked out for the best because here's what we need to know. Sometimes when the universe says no, even though you think it's what you want to do, the universe has something better for you down the line and you don't see it right now. And I didn't see it then. I wanted to be the Barbara Walters of sports, but I ended up landing in a place years later where I'm doing so much more important and impactful work as an investigative journalist. This is where I was meant to be. Not there. It's okay to be a sportscaster. I'm not saying anything negative about sideline reporters, but for me, I had a bigger destiny than doing seven second injury reports on somebody's pulled groin. <laughs> you know, it, it, and you referenced uh, the, 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 the booger check. Um, he, he was a teammate of uh, the guy who this podcast was dedicated to uh, the late, great uh, Daryl Hamilton. He was an outfielder for mm-hmm. the giants. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, he was my, my partner and we were supposed to do the podcast together. That was, that was the, the plan. And um, Daryl's big thing was if you were wearing something, if you had an outfit or your 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 look, your hair was done wrong or anything, uh, his line would always, "Well, that guy must have no friends," because if he had hmm. friends, someone would go up to him and say, "Dude, what do you look like that for?" Mm, okay. <laughs> I wonder. That, I wonder if, if if that came from Bonds, which came from you. Like, <clears throat> I wonder if that's. Like a bad game of telephone, you know what I mean? And in, 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 in how, how it goes in. That's funny. Well, that that is, I get, I'm seeing the connection there. Yeah. I like it. It's very funny. I like it. That's very funny. 15 years later, uh, I want to transition to Playboy. What was that phone call like? Who, did, did you have an agent that approached you about getting involved in the first place in, in, in Playboy in 2006? And then later on, how satisfying was it to be able to interview all those people and do do that that documentary that has been lauded and, and and praised by so many well you know my thank you for that my playboy odyssey started when i was 19 i had actually signed with playboy models when i was oh, a model good. here in southern california and they handled of course all the playmates i was not a playmate but they also represented a lot of swimwear models and fitness models at the time i was the gold's gym um spokes model and I did a ton of swimwear and fitness modeling. This was in the 80s. And so they signed me to that agency. But part of the deal was on Friday nights, I had to go to the Playboy Mansion for movie night. And all of the models that were represented at the agency had to go. And I was really reluctant to go. I didn't drink at the time. I wasn't interested in meeting any of these old producers, half or any of those guys. I didn't even want to be seen there, to be honest with you. Mm. But I went on Friday nights and I took with me empty Tupperwares and a big bag. And while all the old men were chasing the girls, I would go into the buffet area and steal food, put it in my Tupperware, and then sneak out before the screening ended for movie night. So that was my big like Friday night out at the at the mansion was I was stealing food from Steal Hugh Hefner. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and then years later... They started offering me, you know, we want you to be a playmate. And I said, no, I want to be a sportscaster. I want to be an actress. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to be a playmate. And so I turned them down for years as a playmate. And as luck would have it, I did become an actress and a sportscaster. 
Then they started asking me to be a celebrity cover, right? Um, which is a step above a playmate. Of course, it's a lot of right. money and you don't have to be naked and you get the cover and all this yeah. stuff. But I was still saying no. Some big for differences, years. right? Big differences. But finally at, um, oh heck, at the age of 40, after Monday Night Football, they asked me again to be on the cover. And finally, at this point, I'm like, what do I have to lose? I'm already done with sports. I'm never going to get another job in sports. This is before the Fox gig, right? No, this is after Fox, after Monday Night Football, after everything. I was fired from Monday Night Football. I didn't have a job. And I thought, wait a minute, if I use being on the cover of Playboy at 40 as an opportunity to talk to the press about what my next you know, job is going to be or what I want it to be. I'm going to tell everybody that's willing to listen that I want to be on a news magazine, that I'm done with sports and I want to move on and be on Entertainment Tonight or Inside Edition or Access Hollywood. Well, Inside Edition heard me doing the press when I was on the cover of Playboy. They did a story about me. Their audience loved me, apparently. And then they offered me a two-year deal as West Coast correspondent for Inside Edition and that was 17 years ago. That's and crazy. since then, I got promoted to, to chief investigative correspondent. Now I chase bad guys. But if it wasn't for Playboy, Inside Edition wouldn't have been on my resume. It's amazing. And you detail a lot of this in the book. Just because of the uh, the superhero nerd in me, uh, I do have to ask, uh, tell me about the experience of Batman Returns. So Batman Returns, when I was a... Um, an actress and a model and starting in sports, I was um, going out on these auditions for TV shows and films. And my agent said, oh my gosh, there's a, a, a feature. So a small cameo role in Batman Returns. And the role is called Volunteer Blonde. And back mm-hmm. in the day, in the 80s, I had blonde hair. Yep. And so I said, okay, well, wow, it's an opportunity it's a very small role, but it's in Batman Returns, you know, Tim Burton directing, starring um, Michelle Pfeiffer and um, Michael Keaton, and of course, Danny DeVito. So I was really excited to get the opportunity to audition. And it took many auditions to get that small role of volunteer blonde. So I got the role. I show up on the set. It was so exciting. I had my own trailer, fresh flowers and basket. And as it happened, because Tim Burton is such a perfectionist, they were way behind schedule. So I was supposed to be there for one day to do my one scene. And um, they were behind. So, you know, one day turned into two days, turned into three days, four days. Finally, I'm there for a week and they still hadn't gotten to my scene. But every day I would show up to makeup and there was Danny DeVito in the makeup chair, in the makeup trailer. And I just got to know him and he was so sweet to me and kind. And, you know, he was, he was just, just, he was sitting in that trailer getting all his prosthetics done and I had nothing to do. So I would sit there and listen to his stories and he was very kind. So finally we get to the day where I do my scene, which is with him. And he plays, you know, the penguin, but also Mr. Cobblepot, who of course is running for mayor. And I played, I played one of the volunteers, volunteer blonde. So I get up, I do my, my little scene with him. Um, Everybody's lovely. My scene is over. And as every, you know, Tim Burton says, cut, that's it. That's a wrap. Everybody turns around to go, you know, scurry on to home because it took all day to shoot one scene. 
So everybody's ready to go. And all of a sudden, Danny DeVito goes, hold on. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Everybody stop, stop, stop. Everybody stops. It's Danny DeVito telling them to stop. They turn around and he goes, I want you to have a round of applause for Lisa. She's been here all week. She's amazing. This is her first film. Can everybody give her a round? And I just couldn't believe how sweet that was. So from that moment on, I've always been a Danny DeVito fan. However, here's the twist. I get invited to the premiere and they had changed the name of my character mm-hmm. from volunteer blonde to volunteer bimbo. Yep. And I was furious. Mm-hmm. I would never have auditioned for the role if the role was called bimbo. And she wasn't a bimbo, by the way. She was right. a, a campaign volunteer that it's wasn't doing line. anything bimbo right. Yeah, she's not a bimbo. She's a sweet girl. So I was so upset about that. And I remember like being really upset to my agent. And then saying, you know, can we contact the union? Can they, can I make them change it on the credits? I don't want to have that credit on my resume. And we actually tried to do it and they wouldn't let us change it. So they were able to change the name behind our back of the character. So I've never forgiven Tim Burton. Tim Burton, if you're listening, you're a big stinker. So that's, okay. that's my, that's my very yeah, long story about, about a very short story. scene. Yeah, I knew that story and I wanted to our listeners to, to get a chance to hear it. I know the sports uh, journalist in me um, supposed to ask you about Moneyball. Um, I do love this, just the scene where uh, you, you like push the reporter out of the way and, yeah. and, and somebody said, is that what, what you would do in real life? And somebody came in and former uh, player and said, yes, that's exactly what you would do in real life. And yeah. Chad was- Kruder. <laughs> Chad Kruder was a former player for the Dodgers and I had covered the Dodgers and I'd actually mixed it up with him. He didn't necessarily <laughs> like me. I was very tough on him as a reporter, but then he ended up being the consultant for Moneyball so and I didn't see him on the set. And the director's like, there's no way you would push another reporter out of the way and say, get out of my shot. And Chad Kruder speaks up from the dark. He goes, yes, she did. I'm, I'm Chad Kruder. I was with the Dodgers. I saw her do this many times. <laughs> That's awesome. So they, they kept it in the movie. So story. thanks Chad Kruder. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's funny because in that movie, there's still uh, nobody talks ever about uh, the value of Tim Hudson, Barry Zito and Mark Mulder. In that yeah. Movie. And right. It, no, it's, it's, That's it's totally like, ignored. It's totally complete ignored. fiction. <laughs> the picture. Just, yeah, right. I know. I mean, the pictures are completely yep. ignored. It's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. It, right. Exactly. Um, but I did want to end on uh, what one of my favorite episodes of one of my favorite all time shows. And that is Frasier. You were on Frasier. Yeah. Um, I was. I was on two episodes. Yes, I was supposed to be. It was the season finale and the and the season premiere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. On on so two consecutive seasons. So I get brought in to do just a small role. Joanne from the airport was her name. And um, you know, he would he had just gotten dubbed by um. Oh, what's her? What was the actress's name? Terminator actress Linda. Hamilton Hamilton Hamilton. yeah so she was the guest star for that and and she's supposed to have a blind date with him they meet at the airport she dumps him so I come in in the last scene completely separate I'm lost in the airport looking for a flight to Cancun and he's at the bar depressed and so they bring me in we hit it off and suddenly he says he's on the same flight to Cancun as I am of course he wasn't Um, but he's he gets onto the plane and you know obviously this is before um, our current security checks that we would yeah, have today, right. but he was, he very was able pre-9/11, to right. <clears throat> very nine pre nine 11. So he was able to sneak onto the plane with me to Cancun. And that's the season cliffhanger is like, who's this girl? And he's going to Cancun with yeah. this, this woman all of a sudden. 
So we were really excited. And through the, the next few months, we got, you know, word from the producers that they were going to have me be a, um, a romantic interest for him for the first season episode. I was going to be a guest star. And we were really excited because my character, Joanne, was going to have an affair with him or, or have some relationship with him. But about a week before we were supposed to shoot the next episode, which I was supposed to be the guest star for, yeah. we get a phone call from the producer saying, Cela Ward wants, that, wants the role. Cela Ward had oh, just no. met the producers at some charity function oh. and said she wanted to be written in to the show, but she only had this one window before she was off to do a film. So they gave her my role. So I was oh, actually sorry. in that, that second episode, just a small yeah. role. And yeah. then they introduced Cela Ward. <laughs> to it. It's like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to win here? Oh, and I, I almost quit that, acting. Yeah. Yeah, I almost quit. And then a ne like the next week I got Sunset Beach, the oh, Aaron cool. Spelling show, which I became yep. a lead in. So that that worked out. It all it all it all works out in the end. It, I'm telling you, every time someone <clears throat> metaphorically, every time someone punches you, you punch right back. It, it's incredible uh, how many examples of that. And uh, I've talked on the podcast in the past. I signed on to uh, Peacock because I've been watching the uh, Premier League. And uh, they have all the episodes of Cheers and Frasier. And I've gone down this rabbit hole of watching these shows. <laughs> it's so and good. It's just, I am not Classic. as productive as I was since I found these shows. It's, it, it's so bad. I, uh, I have to I have to stop. Um, last thing, with, with the way we always end the podcast, um, social media. Um, you mentioned Google, but now I would imagine, uh, especially since the release of the book, I would imagine social media is 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 a great ally of yours, uh, but it can also be a cesspool, especially for women. Uh, how do you feel about social media and how can people who hear this podcast find uh, find you on social media? We're going to put the link to the the sh uh, to the book to the Amazon link in the show notes. But we are. Uh, how, what about social media? Yeah, thank you for asking. I love social media. I'm a Twitter girl. I am on it all the time. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the number four, at four Lisa Guerrero. And I, I, I want people to connect with me, you know, especially if you read my book. I want to hear what you have to say, especially if you're a sports fan. Um, you know, if you remember a lot of these shows, if you've dealt with some of the things that I dealt with, the depression, the anxiety, losing a job, all of this stuff, you know, because I, it makes me feel good to know that my words have resonated with people and I want to keep that conversation going. You know, it's one thing to write a book and just put it out there and say, okay, it's done. For me, it's the beginning of a discussion about how we can get better at treating people better, how we can use our empathy to help understand others. We are living in a divisive country, in a divisive time. And I think the best way to repair our country is by empathy and, and really having compassion for other people, other people that don't live near us or look like us or have our experience. We're all human beings. And if we start from a place of empathy, I think we can really heal our country. So I talk about empathy a lot in my book as well. So I hope it opens a discussion for people. Um, I also mentioned my YouTube channel. I do post, the reason I posted a lot of my sport, my old sports stories recently is because if you're reading the book, it's kind of a companion. You can then go and see a lot of these interviews and these shows I'm talking about in the book. 
you can see them on Lisa Guerrero TV on YouTube as well. It's fascinating. Lisa, I am thrilled that we connected through social media. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. And I, the, the book is fascinating. Um, congratulations on all your success. That's what, I, what I'll say. Um, you're, you're, you're the farthest thing from a victim. You've been victimized, but you are uh, you're a survivor. And the, the title of your book, Warrior, uh, is so apropos. Uh, it's been a pleasure Thank getting you, you on, on the podcast. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. It was so good to meet you. And this was really an incredible conversation. I appreciate it. That's Lisa Guerrero. It has been an honor to talk to her. And it's great to have a podcast where you can talk to people that you've admired from afar and get a chance to find out their true story. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the podcast. We will see you next week in March with a brand new episode. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today available for you to see I'm about to go and then you'll know for me to stay I got to be me you'll never be in doubt that's what it's all about you can't take me for granted and smile come on please I'm gone forget reaching me by phone because I promise I'll be Person. Mm-hmm.